Then, slowly, awesomely, a strange and ominous figure begins to move upwards, towards the surface. A powerful, sinister figure which will represent one of the greatest menaces the Fantastic Four have ever faced. Finally, reaching the summit of the volcano, the figure stops and ponders a moment. Then, as though reaching a momentous decision, it bursts into flame and flashes away towards the mainland like a fiery comet. I know what must be done, and nothing shall stop me. Welcome to Artifacts of Infinity, where we dive into the infinite abyss of Marvel's cosmic universe. I'm Jonathan Hudson. I'm Everett Christensen. This is episode one, and today we will be covering Fantastic Four 1, 2, 18, and 32. Artifacts of Infinity is a hybrid continuity explainer podcast. We won't be covering issues in order, but instead we're focusing on cosmic aspects of the mainline continuity and foundational stories to help people find Marvel Cosmic a bit more accessible. Let's dive right into the first issue. This is issue number one, The Fantastic Four. This issue was written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by George Klein and Christopher Gruel, Colors by Stan Goldberg, lettered by Artie Simek, edited by Stan Lee, with Jack Kirby as the cover artist. You know, right off the bat, this cover really grabs me. Uh, you got the monster bursting out of the street, and it's wonderfully menacing in, an, in, a, in a way that only Kirby monsters are. And the citizens seem genuinely panicked, you know, diving for the sides of the road. And uh, even uh, even the Fantastic Four look quite menaced. Yeah, and I mean, and this is one of the most homaged covers possibly of all time. And it's really hard to overstate the importance that this monster bursting out of the street has. But we'll see this over and over again. Yep. You've got Reed starting out, summoning the Fantastic Four with a flare gun. And the flare spells out the Fantastic Four with an exclamation mark, bright red letters in the sky. And it's a wonder that they don't use this ever again, because I feel like there are several misunderstandings that happen throughout the history of the Fantastic Four that could be solved with, like, short notes instead of just firing a flare that makes the number four. <laughs> right? And... What I, what I really like here is you've got this quote from Reed after he fires the flare. He says, It is the first time I have found it necessary to give the signal. I pray it will be the last. And what I really love about that is it's really pretty clunky for, for something like that for starting out. But it's a great demonstration of where Lee is at right at the beginning of this series. And we get to watch him grow from there. I mean, he has he has chops already going in, but it kind of shows where he's starting at. Yes, and so then we have the gathering of the Fantastic Four. Uh, Sue manages to rugby tackle her way through an entire crowd while invisible, which, why was she invisible for that? We have no idea. But she <laughs> uh, manages to get into a cab and attempts to pay the driver, who drives off without taking the money, and that's just unrealistic. Yeah, we know that would never happen. And then you've got Thing... In a large uh, trench coat and a, a hat and glasses, uh, trying to obscure who he is, shopping for clothes, and he's not finding what he's looking for. And he sees the signal, and even though he was able to walk in just fine, he then Kool-Aid mans his way through the wall, 
in an attempt to escape. And uh, he pulls out the entire manhole cover and frame all at once to fall into the sewers, only to immediately bust his way out of the sewers again. And you, you must have to wonder, like, why exactly? But the best part is when he comes out the other side, he comes out from under the sewers, busting a hole in the street directly in front of an oncoming car. And he says, fool, did you not see me in time before completely demolishing the car that's headed towards him? Yeah, it's like, no, Ben, people can't see through roads. And then uh, we've got Johnny and he's he's with his hot rod with his mechanic and they're tuning the car up. And uh, as as they're going, Johnny has this great line where he says, you know, there's only one thing in the world that interests me more than cars. And the mechanic says, yeah, what's that, Johnny? But then they see the four in this guy, which the the Fantastic Four has morphed into the number four. And Johnny bursts into flames while sitting in his car and melts his way right through his souped up hot rod. And he even says, remember me saying there's only one thing I care more about than cars? Well, this is it. And then he slags his own vehicle. So the only thing I can assume here is that the thing he cares about more than cars is melting cars. Yeah, which, hey, hey, you know what? He's young. I respect that. Uh, And so they scramble jets after Johnny and he melts them just by getting close to them. Yeah, he's so hot that they turn to slag in midair as they're flying past him. And fortunately, we see the pilots escaping. Uh, but then a hunter missile is onto him, locked onto his heat signature. And and really, like, this is New York. And he's talking about it having a nuclear payload. And this is a city. Like, this is New York. A guy turns into flames and starts flaming around. And your first option is nuke yeah that seems excessive even for our government like come on guys get a grip and but speaking of getting a grip we've got reed who stretches up and grabs that hunter missile barehandedly right out of the air as it's going on johnny and then yeets that missile into the into the river now this is like absolutely incredible to me and i will bring this up repeatedly but the amount of toughness in the hands that reed has to have in order to catch a missile out of the sky is truly prodigious yeah that's pretty incredible so johnny's then has his flame flicker off and it's not exactly clear why but Reed manages to catch him out of the air with a kind of horrifying middle body bend, uh, yeah. showing us his elasticity. And the Fantastic Four are finally together. And uh, they discuss what's going on, but we then go to a flashback where they are discussing... Uh, a trip into space that they're going to make. And Ben is quite concerned because, you know, as any good 
you know, astronaut would, he's aware of what's going on in space. And there's cosmic rays going on out there right now. There's a, a cosmic ray storm going on. And he says that uh, they haven't done enough research to know what's going on with that. And here we have one of the interesting anachronisms of this particular start. When Sue says, Ben, we've got to take that chance unless we want the commies to beat us to it. With no explanation of what they are attempting to beat the commies to. But she even goes so far as to call Ben a coward. And I don't know, that just seems really intense for that exchange. There's a lot of very intense exchanges that happen in this origin story that are a little incongruous with even the mo the majority of this story moving forward. So they all hop into a car and steal a spaceship. Yeah, they break onto a military base and steal a spaceship. Teenagers. There's a couple Am I right? of, There's a couple of teenagers on that in that crew like and just they manage to launch without control or anything. <laughs> but they they get into space and they're immediately bombarded by these cosmic rays that Ben was concerned about and it's such an intense storm that you can hear them. You've got you've got the sound effects, you know, rack tack 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 of the of the rays hitting the ship. And Ben says, "Hear that? It's the cosmic rays. I warned you about them. They're penetrating the ship." And uh, yeah, Ben, you were right, buddy. Yeah, Ben. Ben knew there were cosmic rays, and they went anyway. And sure enough, cosmic ray storm. And the Fantastic Four are pelted by what they call light particles that somehow make noise. But okay, moving on from there. <laughs> uh, Johnny starts heating up. Ben starts feeling like he's too heavy and he has to lay down. And that's when we learn that the ship has an autopilot. Yeah. I mean, if they had an autopilot, why aren't they sending a drone out into space? It seems like it would be way safer when you know that your shielding isn't good enough to withstand the cosmic rays. So what were they trying to beat the Russians to? Safety's for them commies, man. I suppose so. <laughs> but the the they come back in for a non-fatal landing thanks to the autopilot and... Immediately, Susan starts blinking in and out of view. She's she's turning invisible and fading away and then coming back into view. And at this point, uh, Reed is comforting Sue and Ben starts getting angry at him for ignoring him, his warnings about the cosmic rays. And as he is getting angry at Reed, his face melts into the thing and it's a really like hit on the body horror scale yeah he looks really kind of kind of more glumpy and more more soft and muddy than he will later on later on he's gonna look really craggy but but he looks much much more like uh like a mud man or something here but i mean it's clear that he's not he's not but that's what it's kind of drawn like and so Ben rips a tree out of the ground and says, Reed, darling, bah, how can you care for that weakling when I'm here? 
And there's no preamble for this, but he immediately starts swinging on Reed, who immediately becomes all bendy and stretchy. And he he grabs Ben. I don't know. How do you want to even describe this, man? I mean, to me, these are... this. He just, you know, you've had this coming to you for a long time, Ben. And then he hugs him with his incredibly long, incredibly stretchy arms. These are the hugs of horror. <laughs> We're going to see more of that. It's disturbing every time. But Johnny bursts into flame and it's not quite what we are used to seeing with Johnny in the modern era. Uh, it's much there. There's no real definition to his features. He's just kind of vaguely man shaped and on fire, which is a lot more the way that we see like Jim Hammond, uh, the original human torch uh, from earlier comics. And so all four of them now endued with the power of the Fantastic Four, they think to themselves that they need to use their power to help mankind. And thus the Fantastic Four was born. So, so next up is issue two, the Fantastic Four meet the Scrolls from outer space. This issue was written by Stan Lee penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by George Klein, colors by Stan Goldberg, lettered by John Duffy, edited by Stan Lee, with Jack Kirby and Dick Ayers as the cover artists. And this cover is... What I, what I love about this cover is I really love the design of the scroll here. Uh, it's not going to look like what they look like later, but it's a really great look. Yeah, I actually really appreciate this uh early scroll design it reminds me a lot of the muppets and later they will come to be a lot more humanoid looking but they're very alien and it seems like they're kind of getting some influence from the little green men but they've got these great big ear fins they kind of look fishy and i like that yeah it's a great design and right off the bat, we see Thing uh, swimming out towards a an oil derrick of some sort is what it looks like here. Um, and he dives under and begins punching out the pylons holding this aloft. And some gentlemen see him uh, swimming away and they call out, It's the Thing! He did it! The thing wrecked the tower. So that we can tell they're already starting to get some recognition at this point by issue two. People, you know, the public is starting to recognize them. That's an important, an important part of them. And uh, next we have Sue Storm in a jewelry store, who just grabs the largest diamond and vanishes, and nobody knows where she went. And. Uh... As, as the people in the store begin looking for her, we go to a statue outside uh, that they are unveiling uh, that's carved out of solid marble. And Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, goes flying by and just melts that statue, panicking everybody there. And then at the same time, a final deed yet remains to be done when a 
arm stretches its way into a power plant and flips the switch that has the power for the entire city. And the entire city goes dark. And why does that switch even exist? I don't know. I think that uh, fails the redundancy test. But uh, we then see a gathering of these Fantastic Four ne'er-do-wells, and they begin demonstrating how they were able to pull off such feats using various technological means. Yes, except for Mr. Fantastic, who says, for me, it's an easy matter to alter my body in any way I desire. And then he melts into a green alien and calls himself a scroll. And it shows uh, they, they start talking about their plan. And one of them says, once the Fantastic Four is slain, no power on Earth can stop the scrawl invasion. Even now, our mothership hovers unseen above the Earth's atmosphere, waiting for our signal to launch the attack. And that is a really cool looking mothership. I really enjoy this particular design with the like basically horns and saucer with boosters on it. It's a delightful mishmash, and I like this design for the mothership a lot. Yeah, it, what it kind of makes me think of is is like somebody took a bunch of models for a bunch of different stuff and kind of meshed them together to make this really cool design. Yeah, I like the kludge. So then we turn to the actual Fantastic Four, who have holed themselves up in a log cabin hideaway. Ben is mad and sad and it's really unfortunate because he just looks so inhuman in this particular part and he's on a rampage until he's calmed down by reed's long stretchy arms in another hug of horror they are really playing off the body horror on the thing to the degree that in this in this bottom right panel here, it immediately made me think of the Butterball Cenobite from Hellraiser. I mean, it's really scary looking stuff, especially for the time. Oh, yes. And Thing is complaining that everybody's all talk and no action. And Reed then laments that it's ultimately his fault. And we actually get a recap of issue number one. And... I really miss that in comics. There's a philosophy that every comic is someone's first, and this is woven into the narrative in a way that I personally really appreciate and would love to see more of in modern comics. Yeah, I agree. And after the recap and Reed's lament over his responsibility, the military rolls up on the cabin and takes the Fantastic Four into custody. Now, each of the Fantastic Four quickly find their way out of being imprisoned by the military. Sue turns invisible, and some nice men open the door to feed her, so she just rugby tackles them out of the way. She uses those sweet, sweet rugby skills to just tackle her way out. 
Uh, Johnny and, uh, finds the one air hole in the whole joint and just gets in on some no safety equipment needed asbestos removal. And then Thing just tackles his way through the wall, uh, which had to feel pretty good for him, letting out some of that pent up frustration. And Reed stretches his arms and hands out, feeling around and is able to find a loose rivet in the wall that he's able to snake his way through in a pretty creepy manner. <laughs> and they manage to hijack a military helicopter and get the heck out of there. And this is kind of amazing because we see them interacting with the U.S. government on a fairly regular basis, but I'm pretty sure they've just committed a whole bunch of crimes all in a row here. Yeah. They're they're just on a grand theft spree of helicopters and rockets and whatnot. But uh, they meet back up together at a hidden apartment that they have as a backup hideout. And they begin discussing what they're going to do. And Johnny actually is the one that comes up with the plan. And it's a pretty good plan. Yeah, he's going to pretend to be the Skrull impersonating him, cause some havoc and some damage, and hopefully the imposters will come to pick him up. And he goes to an unfinished launching platform for another rocket, burns it down, and then gets picked up by the imposters. So hey, score one for Johnny in this case. Yeah, good job. Good plan, Johnny. He goes back to their hideout and fires off the Fantastic Four flare gun. And with that giant number four in the sky, uh, Johnny begins causing havoc in there, trying to fight his way out. And the Skrull attempting to be Johnny turns on his jets and they seemingly collide. And Johnny is out of the fight for a little bit. The scroll says, you'll never be able to warn Earth about us now. And Ben just busts through the wall. Yeah, says who? And it's an absolutely fantastic panel. That scroll is not having a good day. That is such a great panel, this scroll getting squished. And uh, the, the Fantastic Four fight back in this image that's clearly an homage to the cover uh we've got reed coming through the window grabbing onto one of them johnny kind of getting himself back together and thing wrecking house uh on the scroll and one of the scrolls attempts to get away but there's an invisible woman who just casually trips him sends him sprawling Good job, Sue, for solving the problem with the minimal effort required. Yeah. So Reed starts trying to get him to talk, but Ben is really angry and grabs a bureau and goes to smash one of them with it. But Sue and Johnny dive on him as Reed gives out another hug of horror. And it's just... I would not want to be hugged like that. Like, I don't think anyone wants to be hugged like that. It's no. it's really gross. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> but 
And in this panel, once again, Ben just looks so sad. He really, he acts angry in this a lot, but the way that he looks is is really more sad. And I think that's great work by Kirby showing what's going on with him and, and how he's reacting to this situation. And the Fantastic Four have captured the scrolls, and they're thinking about what to do next. And Reed has the idea to masquerade as the scrolls masquerading as them. He's taken that idea from Johnny, but it worked the first time, so let's give it another go. And so they head up to the water tower, which we find out is the disguised scroll shuttle to get them back to the mothership. And they get up there and encounter some of the the big dog scrolls. And the scrolls are told that the Fantastic Four cannot be beaten and asks for proof and the Fantastic Four give him clippings from Strange Tales and Journey into Mystery. There's uh, some pictures of giant ants or hidden space mines and the scroll is just flabbergasted. They're, they look they're pretty convinced that they don't stand a chance, and that's incredible given that they've already been cleared that they came to Earth all the way from the Andromeda Galaxy, and if they got that kind of mojo, I don't get why they're freaked out about a couple of monsters and a couple of space mines. And as far as I know, there's never really any explanation for why some giant ants were, like, the big no for an intergalactic civilization, but... They seem to think the threat is credible, and so they give Reed, pretending to be an imposter, pretending to be Reed, a medal for his bravery. And uh, so the Fantastic Four say that they have to stay behind to make sure that they can clean up the mess so that it's never known. And as they travel back... Uh, they have to go back through another cosmic uh, radiation belt, as Ben describes it. And this is really, to me, this next couple of pages of sequence is one of the most heartbreaking things in, in this whole bit that we're covering. And it's Ben going from his thing form to getting zapped by the radiation and turning back into human and right as he's realizing that he's human again changing back into the thing in just an utterly heartbreaking sequence yeah it's very emotional and ben just looks so defeated and dejected in the final panel of the transformation sequence it's really, really rough. Yeah, it's 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 so communicative of the heartbreak that he experiences when he goes through this. I think defeated is the perfect word there. But there are still three scrolls on Earth, and if the Fantastic Four are going to clean up the mess, they're going to have to capture these guys as well. So they get they get cracking on it, and the first one is disguised as a giant snake. 
You never and turn into a giant snake. It never helps. It never works. It never does. Um, Thing tackles the giant snake, and then one of them turns into this spiky kind of golem-looking monster, and uh, Johnny jumps on that one, and a third one turns into a bird and just tries to fly away, and Reed stretches way out in this huge arcing loop and grabs onto him. So they have these scrawls captured and they're wondering what to do with them and reed comes up with an ingenious plan he will hypnotize them and he turns them into cows and he lets them roam and this will certainly never come up again I just, like, this seems like there's so much at risk doing something like that. Maybe the hypnosis wears off. Maybe maybe someone's drinking some scroll milk. Maybe someone's eating some scroll beef. I don't know. That just seems all bad all the way. Yes, and we wrap it up with a pinup at the back of the comic that of uh, Ben, like, manhandling a lamppost, and that looks menacing he looks actually like frightening there more than he looks just sad like he did throughout the issue they describe him as the strongest man-like creature on the face of the earth and i gotta say i love these kind of pinups at the back of the comics i wish there was more of that today all right next up is issue 18 a scroll walks among us this issue was written by Stan Lee, inked by Dick Ayers, colors by Stan Goldberg, lettered by Artie Simic, penciled by Jack Kirby, and edited by Stan Lee, with Jack Kirby, Paul Reinman, Stan Goldberg, and Artie Simic as the cover artists. Right away, we see a huge leap in the artwork, even off the cover. We're, we're 16 issues later. It's over a year in real time, year and a half. And uh, the characters are starting to look very much like we're going to even recognize them today with Ben looking much more craggy on the cover and the Reed, Sue and Johnny all kind of looking more in, in line with what we recognize. Yeah, they're wearing very recognizable co- Fantastic Four costumes at this point. And on the front in great lettering, we have... He has all the powers of the Fantastic Four, plus more. How can they ever help to defeat the all-powerful Super Scroll? And the Super Scroll is on the cover, blazing through using Johnny's fire powers, and he looks great. Yeah, he's looking. He's he's a intense-looking villain, and uh, we get in. And again, some more really fabulous uh, lettering. A scroll walks among us, that lettering by Art Simek. And uh, the inks are looking sharper here as they watch the news and begin to see uh, a recap of when they were stopping Dr. Doom. And Thing gets really excited thinking he's going to be on TV next. And then there's a dog commercial for Tootsie's Dog Food. Now, it's very interesting to note here that the thing immediately pitches a fit, but unlike the way he was previously, 
he actually catches the TV that he sent flying into the air, and he seems to have his rage problems a lot more under control in this issue, even though everyone immediately piles on him for it. Yeah. And uh, the Fantastic Four go to board an ICBM for travel, which grabbed my attention right away because that's the kind of thing I worked on when I was in the military, you know, all those years ago. So Reed and Sue are going to Hawaii for a date and they're taking an ICBM. Uh, Are there any problems with taking an ICBM back and forth to Hawaii real quick? Yeah, that it's just not going to work out right there. Um, the ability to reuse them or, you know, land is problematic. And the speed is also probably pretty problematic. I, I, as I understand it, they're faster than the rockets that take men into space. So that's going to be a big problem. And so with Reed and Sue off on their ICBM jaunt, the uh, Ben and... Uh, Johnny are going to be taking the Fantastic Car, which is already looking a lot like the Fantastic Car will look for pretty much the rest of comics. It's a really iconic design. You've got the kind of main vehicle in the center with two kind of side cars for Johnny and Ben. It's a, it's a great design for a, a vehicle. And like, like you said, the most recognizable uh, design of vehicles probably in, in Marvel at least yeah I would absolutely say so The seeing the Fantastic Car is really one of the signs that lets me know this is a Fantastic Four comic yep they gotta take the Fantastic Car somewhere yeah for sure and we immediately see into, into the Andromeda Galaxy where King Scroll and uh, some henchmen of his are preparing to get vengeance on the Fantastic Four for the sound defeat that they suffered in issue two. And a scientist is bringing out their new secret weapon, the mightiest warrior in the known universe, the Super Scroll, who immediately starts to demonstrate his incredible powers, like stretching we ran the numbers on this because it was quite incredible how fast he was able to do this because it says that he takes 30 seconds and just running some math it says he pulls this fish from the bottom of the scroll sea and if the scroll sea is anything like the pacific ocean for example he was traveling a good twenty-five thousand miles an hour at you know stretching at that speed yeah, this is actually completely overwhelming as the next thing that we see is while demonstrating the powers of the Human Torch, he apparently has antimatter fireballs that can destroy entire mountains. This is totally balanced, right, guys? Yeah, they are setting him up to be a big-time problem for the Fantastic Four. And... Immediately after blowing up this mountain with his antimatter fireball, he then grabs this, it's called the Cosmic Generator, and it's what powers the entire Skrull planet. 
And they say that it weighs 100 tons, and he is able to lift that up. Which actually hits an important benchmark in in character strengths. He is, to my knowledge, the first character in Marvel to be a class 100 uh, character. And including the powers of invisibility, which he demonstrates next, they allude that he has one more power that will be revealed when the time is right. And that concludes the introduction of the Super Scroll. Meanwhile, we've got the Fantastic Four out shopping, and they are, as we mentioned earlier, becoming public figures, and they start getting mobbed by the crowd. And Reed calls out to Ben asking for help to escape the mob scene, and uh, Ben grabs a hold of Reed, and then Johnny and Sue grab Reed, and, and Ben pulls them all to safety. And I just love Sue here. She's getting pulled out of the crowd, and she's like, oh dear, just when I found the cutest negligee on sale. And it's like, there you go, Sue. Keep your priorities in order. The power of savings compels you. That's pretty great. But uh, the herd-like crowd finds him again, and Johnny bursts into flames and flies out of there while Reed turns into a kind of coiled-up spring and pogos his way out. Because apparently in the uh, in Times Square, an alien ship has landed, and the Super Scroll comes out and plants the Scroll flag right there in Times Square. And he tells them that Orders from your new provisional scroll government will come down soon, but until then, just go about your business. Return to your everyday tasks. I totally love the Super Scroll casually taking over the planet with the clever usage of flags. Eddie Izzard would be so proud of him. And then we have another feat of technological marvel from the Scroll Empire as they're watching all of this live on TV. And, like, instant communication between galaxies. That's a really big deal. And so the Human Torch flies in to confront the Super Scroll. As they're fighting, Johnny tries outclassing him, but the Super Scroll is just too hot. He's flying circles around him, and then he hits him with a blast that just carbonizes the air immediately. And that's something normally only lightning can do. We're talking like 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit to accomplish that. It's just overwhelming. And Reed manages to save Johnny, who's been knocked out of the sky. And the thing gets is finally getting his way free from the crowd that's been mobbing them to uh, finally get to the fight. And he actually has some really great escalator humor here. I love the look that he has sliding down that escalator. He punches it and it turns into a slide and he slides down. I wish that's the way escalators work. I think it's an absolutely wonderful sight gag. So Reed moves forward and he attempts a hug of horror on the Super Scroll. But it doesn't turn out the way he thinks it will the super scroll is not having that as he expands faster and faster beyond what reed can handle and like an overstretched spring 
Reed goes flying and is left a bit dizzy. And when he's recuperating, uh, Reed turns his hand into a giant hammer, which is a pretty good move. And the scroll reaches for something, grabs a rock from miles away, and is able to block Reed and uh, bang his hand up pretty bad. At this point, the thing joins in the fight, and as he and the Super Scroll are giving a tussle, the Scroll commits one of the best acts of visual comedy I've seen in almost any comic as he turns his head into a giant goat and then just slams Ben off of the uh, building that they're fighting atop of and lands him all the way on the Chrysler building. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's one of my favorite bits that we're covering today. He said, you may have forgotten that we scroll have the power to alter our bodies in any manner we choose. And now I choose to become a battering ram and just max Ben all the way to the Chrysler building. It's phenomenal. And I really have to wonder at this point, like, how does the Super Scroll know about battering rams? Is he just like an Earth aficionado or something? Hey, we've seen they can communicate instantly with Earth. They gotta be watching a lot of TV. <laughs> and so the fight continues uh, with Johnny taking a, a crack at the Super Scroll again, but he gets wrapped up in fire chains and uh, is overwhelmed with that as the scroll then starts taking shots at him while he's invisible with a flaming bow and arrow, which is pretty great. That's a really cool-looking panel. And at, this is the point where the Fantastic Four have decided to beat a swift retreat, so they catch the nearest helicopter, as they are wont to do, and the Super Scroll decides that he'll turn... Uh, he'll get them tomorrow. Yeah, he's he's pretty relaxed about the whole thing. He he knows he was handling them pretty soundly, so he's not too worried about it. And so the Fantastic Four take off, and Reed begins working on inventions, and comes up with an energy blocker. And he says, "All right." Only the invisible girl can do this one. Sue will fasten the jammer onto the super scroll while he's distracted fighting the rest of the Fantastic Four. And so they call him out with basically what looks to be a pretty modern drone with a microphone hanging off the bottom of it. I love I love this little bit. You've got this automated message playing from the drone. FF calling Super Scroll. If you are within hearing range, respond by speaking into the floating mic. We challenge you to meet us again in final combat. And the Super Scroll proclaims, Fools, I accept. This will be your finish. I really appreciate the words, This will be your finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful way to put it. They don't have the strongest crap. They're not native English speakers. <laughs> and so we come to the final showdown on the island. Ben just attempts to just jump onto the Super Scroll, 
And the Super Scroll reveals the power that he's kept hidden all of this time. And apparently, it's hypnotism. Now He's this... hypnotizing Ben. He's hypnotizing Johnny. He's going after Reed. It's a hypnotism smackdown. Now, this really read to me as them kind of testing out secondary powers for Sue. And I've really got to say, I am so glad they went with force fields instead of hypnotism. Yeah, hypnotism's pretty lame. Uh, but, I mean, Reed used it pretty successfully. Well, I mean, there's one thing when you're hypnotizing people in the middle of combat, and, you know, turning sentient beings into cows and letting them loose is something completely different. That's Apparently. Fair. That's fair. So, they get... Sue is able to get the jamming device onto the Super Scroll... And with that power blocked, the Fantastic Four quickly uh, overwhelm him. And they get him to the bottom of this volcanic cave and seal him in where he will never, ever be seen again. It, he will definitely never come out of that cave. <laughs> So next up, we have issue 32, The Death of a Hero. This issue is written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Chick Stone, colors by Stan Goldberg, lettered by Sam Rosen, edited by Stan Lee, with Jack Kirby, Chick Stone, Stan Goldberg, and Sam Rosen as the cover artists. And this is a really strong cover. This is probably the strongest cover we've had yet. With yes. The with the Invincible Man standing triumphant over a very stricken-looking Fantastic Four. And it says in the giant lettering, Death of a Hero. And I just absolutely appreciate this guy, the Invincible Man's design sense with this kind of teardrop shape helmet and green jacket that has kind of a I guess a metal corset going on i don't know i'm really digging whatever is going on here there's a lot happening there but it all looks good and uh, i really appreciate the blurb at the bottom never before such a daring drama such raw realism and then the very first thing that we come up upon is Reed Richards performing experiments to turn Ben back into his human form, which seem, at least in the beginning, successful. Yeah, he turns back into his human form, and he's looking completely normal, but we find out that he doesn't have any memory while he's in this form. He doesn't know who any of them are. And then we get a cut to the Andromeda Galaxy, where uh, a strange shimmering ray shoots out from a planet whose name of Earth we could never learn to pronounce. And I really love these space shots. They're kind of set up to look really different from all of the rest of the comic book art. And I think that it's a really great look and... I would like to see more of this. This is really uh, gives a sense of scale and how cosmic these stories really are. 
I also really love the drastic art shift on these. They, they describe them as photographs from space a few times. And uh, I mean, looking at it, I suspect it's it's probably screen printed just looking at the texture of it and all that. But it's just a very cool visual way to communicate, you know, the vast expanses of space that I really deeply appreciate. And so the beam strikes the peak of a long dead volcano on a lonely crater island. And something stirs from beneath the volcano, steps up, and then bursts into fire, as we uh, had in our cold opening. Meanwhile, we've got the Fantastic Four dealing with an amnesiatic Ben Grimm, who begins fighting with all of them because he thinks he doesn't know who they are, and he thinks they're messing with him, and... As, as we know, Ben has quite a temper on him. And so he says, you know, who are you? How do you all know my name? What are you doing here? And he tries to escape and they gas him. And so we have uh, a few really great panels. But one I wanted to draw attention to in specific was Sue hugging Alicia Masters, who we know will be Ben Grimm's longtime girlfriend, and very recently, uh, just this year, his new wife. So congratulations, Ben, from Mo Modern Continuity. Uh, 60 years ago says hello? Mazel tov, buddy. And so without, without consulting or getting him in on this or anything, and without having discussed it in advance... Uh, Reed decides to turn Ben back into the thing, and Ben has no memory of what's just unfolded, and goes about assuming that the whole thing has just been a failed experiment. And now this is some really questionable morality from Reed. I don't know that I appreciate him not telling Ben that it was a partial success, and he did get his body back for a little while. Yeah, it's... Ben can't catch a break, you know. He's, he is just striking out all over the place with this. You've heard of Parker Luck. Now get ready for grim reality. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> Meanwhile, we see this creature from the volcano. We see the flame trail lead into the ocean. And we see him emerging from the ocean at the city and stretching his way into a prison before eerily shimmering into the shape of the man in the cell. This is really leaning into horror aspects more than traditional hero comics aspects. With Oh, yes, the way the figure creeps in with a full dark shadow over its face before morphing and melting into the man that we learn is Dr. Franklin Storm, the father of Sue and Johnny. And we learn in an homage, kind of in parallel, uh, we've got Johnny and Sue coming to the prison to try to visit their father, and we find out that he's tried to keep them away while he's been in prison because uh, there was a car wreck, 
uh, his wife, Sue and Johnny's mom, was killed in the wreck. And he became a drunk and distraught and uh, ruined his life and eventually ended up killing a bookie in a fight. And so the mysterious doppelganger who has turned into a copy of Dr. Storm then declares that he's going to be taken a journey such as no mortal has ever taken before and teleports Sue and Johnny's dad to the Andromeda galaxy. Immediate teleportation across the galaxy. It's, it's pretty incredible. And so when Sue and Johnny get, get into the prison to meet their father, instead the person who meets them is a doppelganger who declares that while he's been in prison, he has made himself invincible. Yep, this is an homage we'll see later on with characters like Luke Cage, prison experimentation in the Marvel Universe. But chaos breaks out... And we see a panel that's really an homage to war comics with the police and Johnny and Sue uh, as as they're fighting back here. It, it really looks more like a like a Fury and the Howling Commandos kind of scene. Yeah, Johnny is uh, firing the flare gun, but as the police are running around with automatic weaponry. It, it really doesn't look like a superhero comic. It definitely looks like something out of uh, a Howling Commandos, to be sure. So Reed and Ben see the flare and jump in the fantastic car and take off to see what the trouble is. As we see this character that's taken on the shape of Franklin Storm transform into the figure from the cover the invincible man and i gotta say i like the hat on the cover more than i like the hat in the comics it's pretty oh. different yeah it's it's a bit different and he kind of looks like he has a pickle for a head in this <laughs> he does look like he has a pickle for a head but he begins attacking fending off the people he hits them with a the force field pinning everybody to the ground. Uh, he throws a fire fence up with fire stakes to keep people back. And this is about the point when the Fantastic Four join the fray. And it is quickly very apparent that they are outmatched as this uh, masked figure is using all of their powers against them. Who could it be? Who could it be? But as the fight continues, we see Sue try to throw an invisible force field on him. And I think it's the first time we're seeing that. Well, it's the first time we're seeing this yes. because we're not doing this in continuity. But now we're getting to see a more realized Sue in this issue. And, you know, I'm going to say that it's a very very welcome return and in this fight we also have one of my favorite collection of panels where you get in the top half of the panel the fight is going on while the invincible man is burning a hole under the ground and we see the 
path of the flames underneath the concrete as it erupts underneath Johnny. And I just love these. Yeah, it's great. It almost looks like some sort of great serpent or some sort of great dragon coming up underneath him and consuming him. It's a wonderful series of panels. And it promptly takes Johnny out of the fight. And uh, Reed coils up in an extremely unnerving anaconda-like coil and then flings himself like a bullet forward uh, and collides with Ben. Yeah. Uh, the It actually seems here that Sue has used her force field powers to intercede because she doesn't want a chance of hurting her own father. And with that, the Fantastic Four seem to be pretty defeated, and Reed is extremely mad. He says, If I'm the leader of this group, you've got to trust me, obey me implicitly. And I think demanding people to obey you is probably not the greatest way to go about being a leader. Yeah, that's that's a really harsh take, but we see them... We see the Fantastic Four walking away in defeat and the very fickle Marvel crowd, which was prior, uh, you know, on their side is now calling for their heads because they can't even handle this invincible man. And so they go back to the lab and Reed puts together a... uh, device that he thinks will solve the issue and he's really condescending and mean to Johnny here he tell when he comes in and says Reed Sue and I have been thinking the best thing to do is and Reed snaps at Johnny you two have done enough thinking I'll handle that department from now on I don't like this Reed this Reed is mean Yeah, he's extremely dismissive and condescending. Uh, He does the same thing to Ben. Ben has this great line. He says, hold it, stretch. What in the ding-dong Sam Hill is going on here? And Reed responds, stow it, Ben. I'm through explaining. The three of you are going to learn to follow orders blindly if need be. Now let's get to that fair. And that's just, that's not how you lead, buddy. It's not how you do it. But they're headed to, actually, the World's Fair, where the Invisible Man has called them out for one final duel. And they begin the brawling, and very quickly, instead of keeping the fight going physically, Reed just calls him out on being the Super Scroll, And so he transforms into the Super Scroll and teleports away. And teleports away all the way back to Andromeda. It's really anticlimactic here as far as a final confrontation between the Invincible Man and the Fantastic Four goes. Yeah, we'll see more of that later. But uh, they begin, uh, Reed begins calculating out what's going on and where he's gone based on his trajectory and figures out where the Scroll homeworld is and is able to return Franklin Storm. Well, specifically, what happens here is Reed develops a device 
that will fatally irradiate the Skrull homeworld and holds their entire planet hostage. Have I mentioned he's a little mean? Yeah. I I would say nuking an entire planet over this is is definitely on the extreme end of the scale. But the Skrulls, under duress clearly, return Franklin Storm to the Fantastic Four. Yep, and now we have tragedy striking as the scroll have struck a fatal blow. They return Franklin, but Franklin is immediately panicked. He says, no, go back, stay away from me. And Sue and Johnny try to run at him, but he has something in his chest explode. And he was able to save them by rolling over and taking the brunt of the blast himself rather than letting it hit them. And there is a really great uh, um, death scene where Franklin Storm says that he's going to join his beloved Mary and Sue and Johnny weep over their fallen father. This is the death of the hero that they had alluded to on the cover, and it's it's intense. It's heartbreaking. And the issue wraps with some poignant words. And so another chapter in the lives of the Fantastic Four come to a close. The editors feel this is not the time nor place for advertising our next issue. So let us merely say farewell for now as we leave our silent friends alone with their grief. If you want to read the issues we cover today, you can find them collected in Essential Fantastic Four, Volumes 1 and 2, Marvel Masterworks, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, Epic Collections, Volumes 1 and 2, Secret Invasion, Rise of the Scroll Trade Paperback, as well as you can find them digitally on Comixology and Marvel Unlimited. If you would like to know more about the Scrolls, their history, and their importance in the Marvel Universe, Check out Marvel The Lost Generation for stories of the Skrulls before these issues of the Fantastic Four, Avengers 92 through 97, and others for the first Kree Skrull War, Incredible Hercules 118 through 120 for a look at some primordial Skrull history and a really good look at their religion, Fantastic Four 256 for the death of the Skrull homeworld, and Fantastic Four number five of the most recent volume, 2018, for a wonderful retelling of the events of number one. Big shout out to CrushingCrisis.com, whose reading lists make these collections and further readings a breeze to find. If sacred places are spared the ravages of war, then make all places sacred. And if the holy people are to be kept harmless from war, then make all peoples holy. This has been Artifacts of Infinity. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Everett. And this was edited by Chris Sutherland. We will see you in the Infinite Cosmos.